Hey everyone, and welcome to uh, season three of Working with Humans. Uh, I am Matt Phelan, um, and in season three, uh, I'll be interviewing all the experts, philosophers, philosophers, and practitioners that featured it in my book that focuses on the link between happiness and performance. I call it my book because I haven't got a name for it yet, but hopefully uh, you're reading it at the moment and it does have a cool name and you like it. Um, I'm going to ask all my guests on this season four very simple but very big questions. We're calling this um, season Happiness Shorts because it's quick fire, 20 minute interviews. Um, and this episode is called Can Money Make You Happy? And my guest today is the amazing uh, Geffen Nadine. I had to have a pre-call with Geffen to, to work out how to introduce him, but we're just going to go with reading out his LinkedIn bio, which is employee experience and well-being, best-selling selling and award-winning HR author, top 100 global employee engagement influencer, keynote speaker, HR guest writer, podcaster, uh, Cardiff United Kingdom. Uh, Geffen, does that, does that do you justice? Uh, yeah, uh, do I come under the philosopher um, bracket? What, what, I, um, what would I end up being under? I. It's funny. You, it's funny you say that actually, because I couldn't get you into a bracket. I I'd lined every everyone up, and I and I thought you because you love your research, so you you are uh, slightly in the expert bit, but you love to. You're definitely a thought leader, um, but you're also on the front line, so you tick all boxes, Geffen. I think yeah, it's interesting. I think. Um... The thought leader trope kind of gets pulled out quite a lot and I don't really like it because I, I think I'm pretty good at finding research. I'm pretty good at finding what research people should be paying attention to and surfacing that. Um, and like you say, I actually work with HR people. So unlike a lot of uh, thought leaders in this space uh, who don't actually do the work, I actually spend most days with, uh, with HR people. So, yeah, hopefully I'm an expert, but I guess that's subjective. And thank you for the introduction. And Geffen, this is a podcast, so we can't see you, but the little picture that's popped up, you've got a baseball cap on, it looks really cool. What baseball cap is that? Oh, um, I can't see it. Um, I think, it looks like it's got a red B on it. Yeah, I like, think it's Boston Red Sox. Oh, I was, like it. That photograph was taken just as I got off a sleeper train between uh, Bucharest and Budapest um, after being oh, woken wow. up by the police twice. So that's not, <laughs> a, great, not a great picture. We need, another, we need another podcast just on that story, I think, Geffen. <laughs> Um, so, Kevin, I, I I found it difficult to introduce you because I know I know you from so many different areas now, and you're working on so much stuff. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I think I think you've done a pretty good job of it. So, um, I work for an employee experience technology business called Benefix. Um, I kind of lead all our thoughtship leadership around employee experience and well-being. Um, I guess a big passion of mine for probably seven years now and something we're going to talk about today, which um, is really important to me, is financial well-being and the role that employers have got to play in helping their staff to be and remain uh, financially healthy. Uh, money is a, a great source of people's stress in life. It affects their job quite significantly. And with little support and help elsewhere, I think the employer has got a really good opportunity to help people uh, get better at handling their money. Brilliant. Thanks, Geffen. So this is happening short. So I'm going to jump into your four questions now, Geffen. Um, what makes you happy? So what makes me happy? Um, you know, I think like lots of people, lockdown and the pandemic that we went through in 2020 has given people a lot to think about um, when it comes to kind of what do they want from lives. And 
I guess like so many people, I've realized connection to other people, although we kind of knew the evidence was there that if you spend time with other people, friends and family, etc., that's what really makes you happy. Um, I think I've galvanized that feeling that that actually does make me happy um, and a, a renewed appreciation for the small things. Um, but I think the stuff that really makes me happy, the things I look forward to most in life is traveling. Um, yeah. I think when I get to travel and obviously haven't been able to do that in 2020 um, at all, um, that's what makes me happy. And having those holidays and traveling to look forward to and seeing other cultures and meeting people from all over the world is, is definitely what makes me happy. Giffen, then I'm going to add a question that I hadn't planned to ask you then, because you um, just out of interest, because um, your book is about the world, really, isn't it? Um, and, and different types of people and all that kind of stuff. And is that saying travel broadens the mind? Yeah, um, absolutely. Did you believe in that? Absolutely. So when I was writing the book and I started taking all these life lessons um, and workplace lessons from around the world, um, it came at a time when the UK was pretty divided. So, you know, we had just voted on uh, um, the um, EU referendum and there was this kind of very strong feeling that's grown over the years that, you know, people from different countries want different things and are different people. Um, and with all the experience I had of traveling, I just hadn't seen that, you know, everywhere I'd, I'd ever gone, I just felt like people are the same wherever you go. We're all trying to do the same things. We're all trying to reach, you know, this level of kind of happiness or subjective well-being in our lives. And, um, and I just felt like this was a really good way in my little way of showing people that, you know, we are all the same. We're all fa facing the same challenges and, lots of these different cultures can can teach us a lot um and it's important that we learn from them did you um when when again i'm just i'm putting in another question that i hadn't pre-planned with you geffen but was there ever when you sort of did that research was there anything you know you said you lot sort of found a lot out was there anything that really surprised you at all where you thought oh wow i didn't that that's sort of changed the way i think so there is um some lessons that came out of um, some tribes in Africa, um, and it's kind of in the conclusion of the book, so spoiler alert for anyone who, uh, <laughs> who hasn't read it. Um, but basically, um, you know, the way those kind of tribes and communities look after people, even those ones that have done wrong in their in their kind of communities, was really strong. So, you know, they would help somebody get back on their feet if they caught somebody stealing, for example, or hitting their wife. You know, really kind of sometimes extreme crimes. Um, the way they dealt with that was just to kind of put their arm around that person and make them feel loved and get them to kind of repent and repair for their sin or whatever they did. But at the same time, it wasn't about kicking them to side, locking them up in a prison. It was about, you know, the idea that people do things bad in the world because something's gone wrong with their own lives. And actually, yeah. if you can make people happy and you can kind of take people under your wing, that's how you really kind of rid the evil and the bad in people. Um, and that stayed with me for quite a long time. And I think I do believe that I think most people will react positively when you kind of treat them positively, even if they haven't treated you positively. Yeah, I suppose if you take it, if you take it away from religion and tell it, make it spiritual, it's you kind of are you saying there that nobody's ever lost? Is that is that your thing? Yeah, I think so. I think that obviously there are some kind of really extreme criminals that are kind of beyond help. But, you know, as the son of a, a man who was a prison officer for 35 years, um, I do believe that um, uh, people can, can kind of come out of that and we can change lives. And I think the more positivity somebody has in their lives, the more opportunities they have to get better and kind of uh, not reoffend, et cetera. And I think there's just some general life lessons there for us about how we treat people and treat them with love and kindness and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah.
Um, so I've got to get onto question two. I'm really bad at this happiness short stuff because I can talk about all of that for so long. Um, question number two, are well-being and happiness linked? Yeah, so I kind of mentioned it before, kind of scientists and psychologists refer to it as subjective well-being, but, you know, we would all know that as happiness. And that's kind of just how do you feel with your life? How content are you? Um, and I guess for lots of people, it's it's having a balance. Um, you know, it's having people in your life that you love and care about and it's about lack of worry and, and having little few concerns. It's about, you know, obviously kind of food in your belly and a roof over your head plays a, a part in that subjective well-being as well. But they're, they're definitely linked. You know, I, I would, you know, they're, they're largely the same thing. I think you can't have one without the other, really. And if you're, a, um, if you're working in HR, um, should you be looking at the two... T- are they so important they need separate streams how, how would you you're in this area i think if, if you look at it like this right so you could be you could have all the money in the world you could be physically fit you could kind of have a six-pack and you know, low bmi and all that kind of stuff sleep really well all that kind of stuff but you can't have all that and then not be happy because if you're not happy yeah. it means you're not mentally well right so if you've got all of that stuff yeah. still something troubling your mind so i think you're going to put all that together and it becomes difficult to separate the two out i just feel like happiness is a almost another word for well-being and you know well-being is almost a more permanent state than happiness i think we need to accept that happiness kind of comes and goes with things that happen and change in our life and well-being can sometimes be more of a permanent state than happiness yeah um, yeah, and that, I mean, we're going to definitely build on that um, in the following podcasts. Um, so I don't want to do too many spoilers on that certain subject. Um, so the big question, the re- and the reason I got you on is I've heard you speak about this before, Geffen, it really opened up my ears and eyes on this subject. But can money make you happy? Yeah, it's a great question. I, the, the talk that you saw me do, I absolutely love that. And, um, you know, had so much, so much positive feedback because I think it's, it's like an age old question, right? And I think it's, you know, money contributes to happiness when it helps us make basic needs. Um, but the research will tell us above a certain level that more money doesn't actually yield much more happiness. Um, and there's some great research in this area. So uh, people with a net worth of more than 10 million are significantly happier than those who've got one to two million. So all of a sudden you can see that actually having a significant amount of money can make you a little bit happier than if you've just got what we would consider a significant amount, but not as significant. Um, yeah. And I guess that the relationship between money and happiness shows that money does matter for our well-being, um, but it has diminishing returns. So, um, for example, the difference in happiness between people of incomes of around fifty thousand to seventy-five thousand dollars is bigger than those people with incomes between seventy-five and a hundred. Um, and so, typically, what you tend to find is that. You know, if you can double your income, you gain about half a point on a scale of one to 10 of life satisfaction. And then double that again, you get hardly anything. So up until a point, it buys some kind of happiness. Um, But that actually trails off after a a relatively small amount comparatively. Yeah. And um, definitely you mentioned um, earlier about how you think it's important for companies to understand like financial well-being and things like that. Um, can you just just share a little bit of, of your thinking behind that as well? Yeah, so typically, um, right across the world, people employees lose about one and a half to anywhere up to three days off work because they're worried about money. Um, you know, in twenty twenty, 
worrying about money was more stressful to people in their work or their relationships. It's a big part of people's lives and it's a big part of how they get stressed and why they get anxious and why they lose sleep. So it naturally has an impact on their work. Um, so kind of employers have to pay attention to it because it's affecting their work. And actually, you know, in the same way that if you had an employee that was off sick with a mental health condition or they're off sick with a physical condition and you want to get them back to work and as productive as possible, you know, I don't know why you wouldn't take the same view of if they were worried about money, et cetera. Um, so a lot of our lives evolve around money and it can have quite a significant effect. And if it affects work, then the employer rightly or wrongly has a role to play in that. Um, and I think generally in most kind of developed economies, you see that trust in financial services is pretty low. Um, trust in financial services ranks the lowest of all the 15 major industries. And that's been the case for quite a, quite a number of years now. But the most trusted institution in the lives of employees for quite a few years running has been their employer. So all of a sudden you can see that they don't trust banks and financial services, but they do trust their employer. So I think that's a unique mix there to be able to create the environment whereby the employer can really have an impact on the financial lives of their employees. Giffen, I've heard you mention that that trust element around the employer and the employee. Why, why do you think um, uh, companies have that opportunity to have that such a, I hate calling it a special relationship, but why, why do you think that is? Um, I guess it, so we're spending a lot of time at work, right? So regardless of kind of flexible working and stuff like that, generally most people are still probably spending anywhere between six to eight hours a day working for that employer. Um, it's a source of income. So it's kind of where most people understand their money. It's where they get their money. So, um, and I guess you've seen lots of brands and the employee experience has been invested in and employee engagement has been invested in to the point where so many HR and people teams and CEOs now realize that actually we have a responsibility over these people. Um, we saw during the coronavirus outbreak how much actually we really employ, rely on our employees. And if you take someone like Apple, you know, you take the iPhone away and some of their kind of primary products, and what are you left with? You're left with a group of people that are good at selling, good at designing, can create, manufacture great products. So it's kind of like you take the product or the service away from any employer and you're left with people. Um, yeah. And there's some really good examples of, yeah, how many companies like Google and stuff have realized actually how much of your business is the people that you've got. So, um, and I guess that relationship just means that's kind of just like any other relationship in our life. We've just developed trust. You know, we've kind of, our employers over the last 10 to 20 years have started acting a lot better than they ever have. And they've started yep. caring about us more. And so we've developed this trusting relationship between us and our employers. Um, and on those employers because I've, I've, I've heard you talk about ceos and the importance of a in a modern era of a ceo for standing for something whatever that is at least standing for something um one of the things like when you talk about money and you talk about performance you talk about well-being you're talking about them because they're linked right um in terms of what you just said yeah but why do you think some ceos can see the linkages between lots of different things because um, it's not just well-being, is it? There's lots of other stuff that impacts performances. And some see it in a silo. Have you got any views on that? Because I imagine you're working with, you, you do work with a few CEOs in, in, in your day job. Is there, is there any reason why some people can see it and some people can't? Yeah, I think, um, so as I mentioned at the start, so I'm a big one for kind of evidence. I love research. I love quoting research. I love reading um, psychological research because I like to sh I like to be able to prove that if I'm saying something there's evidence behind it and that evidence is compelling 
um, yeah. because otherwise it's just theory. Unless you can prove something, it's just theory. Uh, yeah. And you and I have, have spoken about this before, but there's this great book by Ben Horowitz called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And one of the things he talks about, and this is a guy who's built and lost companies that have um, generated billions of dollars, you know, huge businesses. He made an incredibly successful guy. And one of the conclusions in his book is actually that, you know, there's two types of CEOs. There's one that reads and considers it work, and there's one that doesn't read. And I think from my experience, the CEOs that read and question and look at the research and look at studies and are open to ideas make much better CEOs. So I think yeah. just like people, right? Some people will vote in an election by reading all the manifestos and weighing out their options. Others will just use their gut and go with the one that either their parents voted for or the one that kind of shouts the loudest on the subject they're most interested in. And I think yeah. what we're starting to see is more leaders and more um, HR people are starting to take more of an evidence-based approach. So they don't just read something you put in front of them blindly. They will look at that view and assess it and weigh it up and add their own evidence and experience to that. And I think when people do that, they make better CEOs because they're, they're using evidence and experience to, to guide their decision-making. Yeah. One of the areas of evidence that I've, I've, some people are scared of is I've, um, I've linked up my DNA from 23andMe to, um, uh, DNA fit, uh, which from a well-being perspective is so fascinating because I know that I'm sensitive to caffeine. Right. Um, I feel anxious if I have caffeine, um, and it confirms in there that 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 I have a high sense. My DNA has a high sensitivity to caffeine, but it also tells me things like I don't press the process the vitamins that are in carrots very well. Um, so I've got to, I've got to basically drink less caffeine and eat more carrots. Um, but actually having that evidence there is so useful. Um, and I'm using that as a link into um, the link between happiness and company performance, which is what, what the book looks at all the evidence on. Um, so I'm actually asking you for an opinion now um, and feel free to bring evidence in. But um, do you think there's a link between the happiness of the employees of a company and company performance? Yeah, 100 percent. I think the evidence for that is so compelling. I don't even know why we would question that. Um you know, it's really easy to look on a really kind of macro, simple level. You think about any shop that you go into, if an employee isn't happy and content and engaged in their work or with their colleagues or with their employer, they can't, their personality will not shine through in customer service. They can't let themselves kind of perform well on that stage of customer service. So every day we see that. And every day you see something on Twitter where, you know, uh, a waitress gets given, you know, a $300 tip just because she was really nice or she engaged her customers and stuff in, or he engaged her customers in like, you know, just a great experience. And so we'll see more of that because people share it. So we can kind of see that kind of um, evidence that, you know, just in real life because we're all consumers and we can experience that. So, you know, I think retail is a really good example of how you can see that stuff in action. Yeah. Um, Geffen, that's before questions. We've come in 30 seconds under 20 minutes, so um, we've managed to achieve it. Um, my last thing is just to say thank you so much um, for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Franz Geffen, chat soon. Take care.